Today on Sagittarian Matters, Squirrel Talk, the epilogue to our baby squirrel story, and what to do if you find a wild baby animal, with my very special guests, Craig Wilsey and Teddy Flory. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Craig Wilsey is a writer, an editor, and a teacher. But listeners may remember him from an episode at the beginning of quarantine where he stepped up not only as my germ pod neighbor, but also as a squirrel co-parent. Craig was there the first minute I found the baby squirrel. He named him Scooter, and I couldn't have raised him without him. I invited Craig on the show to talk about the emotional highlights and urine-soaked lowlights of being a squirrel caregiver and to tell us what happened to Scooter after he drove away. You can find Craig on Twitter, at CWilsey. Now please enjoy my talk with friend to the show and very good friend to baby squirrels, Craig. Craig Wilsey, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you for having me. Craig, you're here on a very special occasion. We had a, we had a quarantine highlight the other week. Can you tell me what happened? I mean, you know... There's been so many highlights to this quarantine, it's hard to pick just one. Um, it's been, you know, it's really been nonstop. Um, yes, um, we, you found a, well, we found, oopsie, wait. <laughs> oh, you can, you can say, you can say it too. Okay, all right. <laughs> I didn't know if it was public. Um, we found two baby squirrels, orphan baby squirrels in our little dirt patch of a yard at our building. Um, and, uh, sadly one of the squirrels didn't make it, but another really fought tooth and nail. Um, and so you took the squirrel in and then took me in too. It was a package deal. (laughs) We became co-parents and isolation pod or germ pod mates. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) We, we, we found out that we were willing to throw all quarantine protocols immediately out the window for the sake of a baby squirrel that just happened to crawl up the driveway. (laughs) We were the third, I was the third person he asked for help or the fourth person. He asked the couple across the street and another neighbor. He asked multiple people for help and nobody would help him. He crawled up steps. (laughs) He crawled down steps. He crawled into the driveway where he was then punted gently by me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, can you talk yeah, about? I was, yeah, I think I was doing. I think I was doing an online dance class. I've been doing dance church, um, which people can check out. Dance church go. I was doing that, and then I heard some some squawking from the front of the house. So I came outside after class, um, and and we found the first squirrel. You found the first squirrel, and then we found the second. And I had. Uh, friend to the show, Diane, on FaceTime. I had my phone in the dirt, my phone, which has been like bleached incessantly (laughs) so much that one of the microphones stopped working because I bleach it so much. My phone was like sitting in the dirt so that I could use both hands to pick up the squirrel, which was scary (laughs) because in the moment, I Diane had to tell me I wasn't going to get rabies, basically. And I remember while you were talking to Diane about the rabies, I was leaning about an inch from your face, <laughs> watching every movement. And then I remember I like 
realized I'd done it and I took like a slow step back. I didn't want to, I didn't want to move too quickly to alert you to what I had done. <laughs> well, we laugh, laugh now, COVID later, I guess. Yes. <laughs> but can you describe what your shifts as co-parent looked like? Sure. So, um, I mean, first I want to say you, you did an amazing job bringing me into the fold, Thank teaching you. me how to um, gently cuddle and um, feed Scooter without drowning Scooter. <laughs> and, and so there was a lot of anxiety in the squirrel community. Um, one, that's, that the squirrel was going to starve to death like immediately, yeah. like any second now. And also that we shouldn't feed the squirrel because if we fed the squirrel, we would kill the squirrel. Um, so, um, but you, you taught me what to do. And um, it involved feeding a a warmed mixture of goat's milk and, and yogurt um, through a little, what do you call it, um, a syringe. Yeah. Um, so I took the evening shifts um, because you're a working mom. <laughs> you, had, you, had to go to, you had to go to the studio at night. So um, I would take Scooter maybe around like five in the afternoon, I think, is what we kind of got into. I mean, it was so funny. You and I like settled into a routine like kind of instantly it could have something to do with the fact that the rest of my entire life has been on hold <laughs> so, like, I, you know i was available but um we really got right into routine so i would take the night shifts um and um you know which mostly involved feeding scooter scooter peeing on me and <laughs> me putting scooter to bed basically in rotation well so that was Part of the thing was, I talked about this on the podcast the other week, but how we were supposed to manually help him pee, oh, yeah. but he actually didn't care for that. He had a preferred spot. Specifically, when he got to you, he really let loose. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think p- people really underestimated Scooter and what he was capable of. Um, so, yeah, the first time I figured this, like, uh, he was kind of like, uh, you know, we kept him swaddled in a little towel and... Um, and usually he kind of would like, you know, fall asleep pretty quickly after um, eating. And then this time he kind of just like crawled out of the towel, like kind of like up my chest and onto my shoulder. And I was like, oh, he like, he wants to like spend some time hanging out. He doesn't want to just like dine and dash. And then just like a torrent of pee, like down my entire sweatshirt. Um, and then he returned to the towel. So, you know, actually it was amazing because we we, you know, realized that, um, that this was actually a good sign that Scooter knew not to pee where he sleeps. Mm-hmm. He pees where I sleep <laughs> and, um, and it goes back to where he goes. So yes, a lot of peeing on me. Um, Which is a lot for people that do not own a washing machine. What are the downsides of having your own baby squirrel? I have downsides of having your own baby squirrel. Well, I also, as night shift, I was getting up in the middle of the night um, to feed Scooter and also to aggressively poke him to make sure he wasn't dead (laughs) because I like I wear um contact lenses and I have glasses but like I refuse to wear them and so like I just like stumble around like I think I'm technically legally blind and then so it's like trying to be able to see like the minute like movements of like a squirrel's breath while it's sleeping (laughs) like very difficult and I would like poke him really hard until he like squawked um so so you know some interruption to my sleep but then, you know, silver lining, Scooter would fall asleep on me. And then one night I actually fell asleep too. And we like cuddled in bed for a little bit. Um, so, you know, even even the downsides had their upsides. And then, um, yeah, the pee. So I basically, I just, I, I had a pee outfit. 
I realize this is disgusting. I just want to, I want to let everybody know. It seems appropriate. It seems like you adapted very quickly. I understand this is disgusting. So I had a pee outfit and I would put the pee clothes back on <laughs> every time I fed Scooter because I just was like, we don't have laundry. No. I, I already have like a pretty limited wardrobe. So I was just like, I can't, I can't go through like many outfits a day. Um, so I would, I'd be like, okay, time to get my pee clothes on. And I would put the pee clothes on, feed Scooter, Scooter would pee on me and go to sleep. <laughs> um, okay, so Craig, you actually did... The most important, the most important thing for scooter survival was finding a place that was not our house, which was, on my end, partially under attack from people being <laughs> like, "It's against the law! It's against the law!" And I got so burned out from that kind of style of feedback from people squirrel splaining to me that I was like, "I can't talk to any more of these fucking bonkers squirrel people anymore. It's too." much and so you took the torch of dealing with squirrel people how did it what happened how how simple was it to find a place to just drop them off in the middle of quarantine you know not as not as simple as one might imagine (laughs) it turns out um well one thing we learned i think i think we both learned i went in with a pretty um i would say my knowledge base about squirrels was pretty limited going into this we learned a lot in a few days for example, that it's baby season. So like all the squirrel babies had been born um, recently. Um, and um, and so a lot of the refuge centers um, are closed uh, due to a global pandemic you may have heard about. Um, and then a lot that are still open were really limiting. So like they were only taking like squirrels from the zip, like, zip codes. <laughs> like, um, so I kept finding places that would, that would, so I spent a couple of days calling and texting places and most of them would all refer me back to the same squirrel person that we had started with. Um, squirrel. Squirrel Mender. Mender. I was going to say merger, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, although, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it does make sense. Um, do you feel like I've done some merging? So, um, yeah, so it was really hard to find. It was hard to get through to places when I could. They often weren't taking any animals. Um, or if they did take animals still, they don't take squirrels. Um, Baby squirrels require, as we know, a lot of maintenance. Um or, you know, they were limiting. And so, and they were all kind of like referring me around to each other. Um, so I spent like a couple days. Um, and, you know, it was funny because, you know, on the one hand, like, I knew that this was what the squirrel needed. I knew that Scooter needed, like, to go to a real home with other squirrels and people who could take care of him. And especially so that he'd be able to live in the wild again. But also, like... I didn't want him to leave. And so there was like, and so it was like, I these phone calls, I would be like this funny mix of like, I would be like incredibly indignant um, with these like wildlife refuge people who are obviously are working in like really stressful circumstances. And like, I'd be like so, so offended and then get off the phone with them and be like totally relieved that, that like Scooter had once again been rejected. Um, and, but some of the places were like really intense, like this one place I think I told you about, we were just communicating over text and, you know, um, uh, I think you and I share an ability to immediately determine when someone's a man <laughs> like based on no information. And so I was like, this guy's definitely a man. And he was like, on the one hand, being like, no, we can't take them. And then being like, these are all the things you need to do to keep them alive. And then being like, it's illegal to keep wildlife in your house for more than 72 hours. And then he said the most 
humane thing to do would probably be to euthanize him. And I was just like, immediately like, how do I block him? Can he <laughs> my location? Like complete freak out that this person was going to come and like take Scooter just to, just to put him down. So, so it was a challenge. Why? I don't even, he, why did he want you to euthanize him? Because Scooter's well, brother had died. So he imagined that Scooter had some kind of harsh death coming to him. Yeah. I think that, um, uh, in it, what was my effort to like elicit concern, you know, I was like texting people photos. Like I was really like trying to like, you know, I thought like anybody who meets Scooter obviously wants Scooter like in their lives. And so, um, and so I, you know, but I also was trying to express like the urgency of it. So I let him know that, you know, Scooter's brother had died. And then he was like, well, then probably Scooter's going to die too. <laughs> Which a lot of people really seemed a little fixated on like Scooter's imminent death. <laughs> After all of this, Craig found Marsha at Coast and Canyon Rescue in Malibu. So I said uh, to Marsha, um, if you'll take him, I'll bring him to you. So you're all the way out in Malibu. And she was very busy with 26 other baby squirrels <laughs> that she was already taking care of. Um, so hard to, hard to find time to take a drive over to the east side. Um, so yes, so she um, took, took pity on us and agreed to take Scooter in, which I will say I got off the phone with her and I burst into hysterical sobs. <laughs> I was heartbroken. I mean, like, I have not, that is not at all like an exaggeration, sobbing hysterically. Um, Will you tell me what her text said about baby squirrels when they see each other? Oh, she said squirrel that squirrels can't smile, but this was it, right? But but if a squirrel could smile, they would be smiling when they get to be with other baby squirrels. Because <laughs> they feel so seen. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think that Marsha figured out pretty early on that I had lost some of my mind over the previous couple of days. And so it was like a little bit like, um, you know, uh, talking, talking somebody back from the edge of a cliff. <laughs> like, I think she knew it was touch and go with me and that I might like, disappear and go underground with Scooter. Um, and so she had to be very gentle in her approach. Who rescued who? Exactly. I mean, it's like squirrel handler or human handler. <laughs> so the day came... We said goodbye to Scooter. We put him in his little baby carrier. His car. We strapped him into his car seat. I did a final bottle feeding, put him in his car seat, and you drove him to Malibu. What happened? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll say that I don't know if the laws about car seats being in the back seat apply to squirrels, but Scooter rode shotgun and he loved it. <laughs> I, when I first started, yeah, actually, I kept the I kept the little carrier unzipped. He was like poking his head out, but then I was like, I mean, I can't drive on a freeway with this thing unzipped, so I had to like. But I was also like, how do I poke him and make sure he's alive? <laughs> the thing is zipped up while I'm driving. But I was like, I just got to trust we're gonna make it. Yeah, so we drove out to Malibu, um, which is a beautiful drive, and you know, not too much traffic, so we made pretty good time, um, and. Uh, so Coast and Canyon is, as implied by the name, um, so it's kind of like nestled right in the canyons and overlooking uh, the ocean. It's beautiful. So I, I arrived, and so, the, um, you know, of course, Marcia and I had to figure out how to do a handoff while maintaining quarantine protocols. Um, and so I was, like, a little scared that I was just going to have to, like, 
leave Scooter on the doorstep, you know? Um, and so we got there and I could not stop crying. <laughs> I had taken Scooter out of the carrier and let him crawl around with me. And I was like, even though I had not put my pee clothes on because I didn't think I should be driving in the pee clothes, I was like, you can pee on me one more time. Um, uh, he didn't pee. But I like, finally I texted Marsha and I was like, I'm here, but I can't stop crying. <laughs> and then she, um, she texted me back, you know, uh, that she was, that she was coming out. And so then she came out, um, with her beautiful dog. I can't remember what kind of dog it is. And I can't remember the name, but the name of the dog is the word in Japanese for squirrel. Um, <laughs> so you can look that up. And, um, and she and Marsha, so then Marsha changed tactics with me and she took like a tough love approach. And she was like, that squirrel doesn't care about you. You're just a warm body and a source of food. <laughs> <laughs> she like did the Harry and the Henderson slap to you. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I was standing in the middle of the road with a squirrel in my bare hand crying. So, you know, I could I could understand um, why she felt like she needed to um, uh, maybe pivot tactics. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that squirrel doesn't care about you. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, and then and then she softened and she was like, you know, wait, I get these calls from people. And they're like, well, I took the squirrel in and everything's been fine. And now the squirrel's like scratching and tearing everything apart. And Marsha was like, and then I'll be like, has it been six months? And they're like, yes. So six months apparently is like when they turn on you. Um, so then I was like, wait, I was like, how old is the squirrel? And she thought like a month. And I was like, you mean we could have had five more months? <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't run away at that moment. You didn't stuff him back in your pocket. I know. I was like, I should have left the car running. Um, <laughs> you rookie mistake. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Emily Helmus, Leah Engel, Rachel Fagan, Elizabeth Storms, Ryan O'Byrne, Kaya Wilson. Mary Pinson, Jill Soloway, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, and Christy Herod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, especially producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million, the amount is up to you, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. Or, this just in, he's got Venmo, Hell Books. That's H-E double hockey sticks books on Venmo. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's speaking voice. Yeah, so um, Marsha was amazing. So she um, very kindly agreed to like, so that, you know, it's like a large kind of um, house where she lives with who I imagine is an extremely patient husband, <laughs> um, and, uh, but it has this beautiful giant um, kind of yard um, that's all walled off. And so she let me in um, to the sort of the outside space, which was like very kind of her. So I could kind of look around. Um, I got to see the big sort of um, outdoor, I don't know what the word for it is. Um, 
it looked like uh if, like where like like in a zoo like a like an enclosure yeah like an enclosed kind of i don't want to call it a pen because that doesn't sound nice um but it's when the when the squirrels are able to go um outside it's where they go so she got to she showed me that she explained to me the process that like um the babies stay inside and they each have their own little sort of personal crib with like a with um you know it's like an incubator to keep them warm um i also got to meet the um neighborhood uh tortoise who lives on the ground who's beautiful um so it was it was great i mean there we couldn't have found a better home um for scooter i really appreciated marcia's patience with me (laughs) and and along with her willingness (laughs) to take scooter in um yeah uh yeah it was beautiful there it was great i didn't know what to do with his brother's (laughs) i wondered if he was (laughs) i didn't know what to do with his brother's dead body um you know his little brother died in a warm soft place in my house, in the dog care, wrapped up in a soft blanket next to a hot water bottle. After being fed a little bit of water, he didn't get, he didn't last long enough for the goat milk, but I didn't know what to do with him. So I was like, Craig, take, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I figured that Marsha knew what to do with him. Cause like, sure, certainly she deals with dead squirrel bodies all the time. So I was like, you know, having, having worked at like farm sanctuary where we just had like freezers full of like dead chickens and puppies and like whoever had expired out of like the hundreds of animals that were there that were waiting for a mass burial. Anyway, so I was like, Craig, take this dead squirrel body to her just for fun. And you were like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I was like, there was some part of me that was like, this is insane, but also like, I don't need to take this up with Nicole. I'm just going to take the squirrel. <laughs> like, I'm just going to say yes. And I'm going to figure it out. So um sorry um, sorry you also made me take the like old probably almost expired goat's milk and yogurt to see like if if marcia wanted it (laughs) well i thought maybe if she wanted if because i had heard that if we had gotten the squirrel food that we wanted Uh, that we would have to wean him off the goat like we have to blend it with the goat milk marcia was like i got this taken care of (laughs) it's like i'm okay um so um yeah so i had a i had a um I actually haven't even told you this whole story. So I was driving. I had the brother in the box in the back seat, and so um, after I left, uh, Scooter and Marsha. Oh, by the way, like I made Marsha sort of like extend her arm with like the little carrier that Scooter was in, like four or five times before I left, so I could say goodbye one last time. <laughs> and like, and like every time, I was like, I was like, okay, Scooter, you're gonna do great. Bye, Scooter. And I kept. And then finally, Marsha was like, I get it. His name is Scooter. <laughs> so I pulled down a little side road um, that dead ended and in kind of like a wooded area. And um, I took the body of Scooter's brother. Um, I was able to I pluck some wildflowers and I had um, absconded with our neighbor's <laughs> hand shovel. I don't know. What do you call that? Um, so I brought it with me. Um, like an insane person <laughs> carrying around a dead squirrel and a shovel and uh, dug a little hole, had a little moment um, to, you know, thank, thank Scooter's brother for, for lending a Scooter and, and said goodbye. That was so sweet. You sent me a picture of him laying in his little grave with wildflowers. It was so yeah. beautiful. I mean, yeah. you may feel like a crazy person for taking the hand trowel, but I would have brought a spoon 
or nothing. <laughs> I would have been using like a plastic spoon that I had in my glove compartment. So I was just like, I was like, I'm trespassing. If I get caught, it's a little hard. What story do I make up? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Well, I've got like this box and a towel and a shovel. Like clearly I've planned something, you know, um, but yeah, but everything went fine. And it was really sweet, you know. I mean, the whole experience was like, I think we probably both felt this like, to, it was so bizarre to have this happening, like in the middle of this pandemic. And also, it was such a gift to get to just like take care of a tiny thing. For, you know, it was really good for me to cry a lot. Like this has been a stressful couple of weeks. And it was really good for me to get to feel my emotions and to just like take that time to be tender and and all of that was really sweet yeah afterwards i went to an in and out (laughs) it was such a gift to get to focus on them and help scooter in it i don't know it yeah it right-sized everything in some way it was amazing i know she said that scooter doesn't care about us but i think that's for scooter to decide You know, I also had the thought, like, if we had kept him and we rehabilitated him completely and let him go, that then he would be attached to, like, coming to our doors forever and we would never be able to... Can you imagine the feeling of having to move? Like, if we ever got evicted or something, say we decide to stay here forever for Scooter and then we get evicted or something or they're going to, like, tear the apartments down. Like, what? how would we even emotionally handle that? No, that's right. It's like Scooter Scooter needs to be free to live his life. But I think, you know, the lesson here is we also need to be free to live ours. It's true. It's true. <laughs> oh my God. Craig Wilsey, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your perspective on co-parenting Scooter the Squirrel. Yeah, I'm so happy to get to talk to you again. And, you know, um, you know, it's been at least, I think, maybe like almost a day since we've discuss scooter over text or in person so you know it's been a while so i'm glad i'm glad to get to reconvene and and just just to pat ourselves back did she say that we got him out of the danger zone yes she said that um squirrels are actually very hardy creatures um and uh, they're survivors and that yes that we didn't need to worry that we got him out of the danger zone that because he'd survived those days that he'd live which is great amazing I'm Kyle Wilson, and you're listening to Sagittarian Matters with Nicole J. Georges and producer Ponyo. Teddy Flory is a licensed wildlife rehabber. She specializes in squirrels. You can find her and see videos of her feeding them on Instagram at Teddy Flory. Now, please enjoy our talk about what to do if you find a wild baby animal and why it's so important that you don't keep it at home. Please enjoy my talk. Can you tell me who you are and what you do? Yeah, so um, my name is Teddy, as you said, and I'm a wildlife rehabber specializing in squirrels. I live in the Sierra Nevadas of California, and I've been doing squirrels specifically for about five years now. And so we take in injured or orphaned wildlife and then try to take care of them and get them back out into the wild. So that is my, my main career path. Oh my God. How, 
I don't even want, how did you get into this career? I just, as a side note, have to know. Um, Yeah, of course. I got into this career because when I was 17, um, I got diagnosed with a few health conditions and I was on a program through my school called Home Hospital where I was staying at home, still doing schooling so I could graduate with the rest of my class. And so we had this nest of baby birds that had fallen out in my backyard and one day you know my mom's dog found them and so my mom was like we found these these dead baby birds and so I run out there and I was like they're not dead yet so I gathered them up and I took all of the ants and the bugs off of them got them under a heat lamp and then found our local rehab center took them there the next morning and they were raised and released successfully. And from that point on, I knew that was my path. So, oh my God. well, you, this is a great segue to explaining to people why, if you find a baby animal, you should take it to the wildlife re- rescue center, uh, rehab center. Yeah, well, I think most people that do find wildlife that end up rescuing it, you know, your heart's in the right place. You want to provide care for this animal. You want to save their life. You know, you're not doing it because you have ill intentions. You're doing it because you love that little creature and you want to see it survive. And so, you know, there's so much misinformation out there and so many different, you know, Google uh, articles and things that you can find on oh, you should do this if you find a baby bird, or you should do this if you find a baby squirrel. But um, we are trained professionals in this area where we know exactly what they need at different stages of their life. You know, no two bird species are going to be the same when you are trying to rehabilitate to release. And it's the same thing with squirrels. You know, we have a lot of different species out there. They all have different needs. You know, a little baby will have very different needs from an adult. And when... They're coming in a lot of the times it's because they're not doing well. You know, it's not usually a kidnap situation where you find a baby that mom has been taking great care of and then you just decide, oh, I'm going to pluck it out of its nest in a tree and take it and make it my baby. You know, it's usually these animals are either injured or their mom has been gone and so they might be starving to death. Hmm. And a lot of the times they need medical intervention. You know, they need the right care and so it is very important to try to get them to a trained professional who knows exactly what to do and knows you know how much to give them based on their size or you know what what treatments they might need so um what should a person do if they find a baby squirrel um so the first thing to do would be you know kind of just do a generalized look over of the baby you know, did the baby come running up to you, climbing your leg, and it's screaming, you know, it's making loud noises and calling out, you know, is the baby visibly injured? Does it have blood, you know, coming from its nose or scratch marks from a cat or a dog? Has it been in your cat or dog's mouth, you know? So what you want to do first is if it's a healthy baby that maybe just climbed down the tree and is wandering around, you know, you want to observe it for a little while and make sure that you're not stealing it from a mom that's taking great care of that baby. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of the, you know, spectrum, if that baby is cold, if they're covered in bugs, like they have fleas on them, if, you know, they have visible injuries or they've been touched by any cat or dog, you know, whether or not you think that cat or dog has hurt them, they need to be 
brought into care by a wildlife rehabilitator as soon as you possibly can, especially with the cat or dog issue because they carry bacteria in their mouth that cause very, very aggressive infections in these small little animals and will kill them if it's not treated. So a lot of the times when they come in, if they are starving, you know, they cannot tolerate being fed regular formula right away and oftentimes people try with a cat or a dog formula that may not have the right nutrition that's necessary for these little babies Um, formula changes all the time you know the different makers will tweak certain nutrients or you know things like that that can make it in indigestible for these little babies and so we may have great intentions but end up causing you know a lot of gastrointestinal problems for them or we might end up completely killing them due to something like metabolic bone disease so the first thing is definitely to you know see if there are any injuries see if this baby is cold or not doing well if it has you know fleas or if it's screaming then it's definitely a situation where it needs to go into a wildlife rehabber you know don't feed it anything Don't give it any water. You know, you run the risk of Uh -uh. causing aspiration pneumonia. So the best thing to do is to keep it warm, keep it in a sheltered box where it can breathe, and call your local rehab center. Um, I should say this audio is coming after Craig and I just talked about feeding our squirrel. (laughs) And I just just want to say I, I, I talked to like a different – I talked to a squirrel lady in Oregon, and so she really – kind of like gave me a very tough love boot camp of like how to feed the baby because he was starving to death. But then yeah. a lot of people were like, don't, on left to my own devices, I would have definitely aspirated him. I would have given him the wrong, I would have given him like oat milk from my vegan refrigerator. Like it would have been so terrible had I not talked to an actual squirrel rehabber. Yeah. Um, but I want to say, so I posted something on Instagram looking for squirrel squirrel formula because it was right at the beginning of quarantine when everybody was flipping their shit and nothing was open like the the rehab centers had a skeleton crew and it was baby season and it was really hard to find a placement for him and so I posted I was like I have 16,000 followers certainly somebody's got a link to some squirrel formula so I don't have to wait to mail order it and everybody took that opportunity to be like you're going to prison. You can't keep wildlife. Give him to a rehab center. Give him Cheerios. Give him kitten formula. Like it just was like a bombardment of you're breaking the law and here's all the wrong things to feed him. Also, you're breaking the law. (laughs) Take him to a lot. And I just, I was like, yeah, no shit, everybody. I get it. But, um, I want to say that I think, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, you personally were one of the most, like the one of the least aggro, (laughs) and most helpful seeming sources of information about what to do with Scooter the Squirrel. Oh, well, thank you for that. I definitely think that in a situation like this, as I mentioned, you're there because you are trying to help. You want to save this life. You're not doing this because you want to intentionally hurt them. And so I feel like, especially in this Time, you know, it's very difficult to get someone to a baby to a rehab immediately. You know, you might be afraid, you might be immunocompromised, maybe your local rehab is closed. 
And so it can take some time. And so reaching out for advice is really the best thing that you can do from people who know what they're talking about. And so unfortunately, there are a lot of rehabbers who can be you know, a little bit more nasty when it comes to, well, why haven't you taken them in already? Why are you kidnapping this baby? You know, (laughs) and I just don't see that as being very helpful. You know, you guys have good intentions when you're finding these animals. We all start out somehow, you know, and I started out the same way, just finding animals, doing my very best with what I had, and then, you know, getting them to a rehab when I could. And so I find that giving people thorough you know, instructions, asking a lot of questions, trying to help them in any way you can while, you know, urging them also to do the right thing and find someone who is a trained professional that can give them the care they need is important. You know, beyond even just wanting the baby to survive, you want them to thrive. You want them to be releasable again because a captive life is only necessary if that squirrel cannot go back to the wild. You know, it's something where we don't want to steal their livelihood. Like it's like putting us in prison for doing nothing wrong. Like maybe Mm. you are, you know, giving them toys to play in that prison, but if it's a medical issue, then, you know, by all means, there are plenty of people who are saving these guys who don't have a second chance out in the wild and they can provide a lot of joy and a lot of fun, but they're also, a lot of work. They're very expensive. You know, they're somewhat social creatures, especially when they're young. You know, they need siblings. They need buddies to grow up around and they need a lot of room and a lot of attention and they bite and they scratch. And hormones can be very, very tough with these guys. They can become very, very aggressive very quickly. And so I do find that, you know, when people are trying to do the right thing, talking to them in a way that discourages them from bringing that baby in is is not helpful and whatever advice you can give them to tie them over until they're able to bring a baby in is the best possible scenario in my opinion if you have an advice question for sagittarian matters call or text our advice hotline 971-361-9998 leave a message We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. Will you tell me what your boyfriend said about your job? Oh, yeah. So I deal with calls all the time with, you know, people in my area or out of my area, people that are on, you know, Instagram or social media where they found a baby, and you're trying to help them get that baby into care. And my boyfriend says it's like being a hostage negotiator. You know, you're you're trying to make sure that this precious little life gets to safety. You know, it gets to the right place. But you don't want to piss someone off so that they don't want to work with you. So they don't want to bring you in that animal. You know, it is happened so many times that I cannot even, you know, count them where I have seen other rehabbers who have a slightly sour, you know, way of talking to people. And it just puts those rescuers off to where they never want to do this again. And, you know, we don't want that. We want people to leave this situation feeling very, very good about what they've done. It's making a very, very tough decision to let these babies go and hand them over to someone you've never met before, you know? And so I feel like we have to respect the way that every rescuer is feeling because 
you know, we deal with that just on a grander scale. We, we get used to having to give babies up, you know, to transport them, to release them back into the wild. But we all had our first, you know, we all had that first experience where we had a, a very hard time letting these babies go or, you know, it makes you ball your eyes out to <laughs> have to transport them to another rehab or whatever it may be. And so remembering that feeling is very important in my mind because it's what every rescuer goes through. I want to tell you that when you told me that he referred to you as a hostage negotiator, I wanted to, full disclosure, Craig and I just talked about when he took Scooter to Coast and Canyon Rehab Center, he called the lady from outside and was like, I'm in your driveway, but I can't stop crying. And he was just like, you know, a man holding a squirrel with his parents bawling in her driveway. Mm -hmm. And she had to change tactics from being gentle to being like, that squirrel doesn't love you. <laughs> that squirrel. Oh. <laughs> she had to use tough love with him to be like, you know, just give me the squirrel, like, the squirrel doesn't love you. He just sees you as a, a source of warmth and food. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, it is true to a certain extent. You know, these, these animals rely on us because they have no other choice. You know, it's like, I mean, at a certain point when you've kidnapped someone, they're relying on you for food and shelter. And it's just, you know, like there is that sort of like almost I've kidnapped this animal and now it's reliant on me, oh but you're doing the right thing when you're kidnapping them, you know, yeah. you're trying to take care of them. We were like CPS, knowing, squirrel protection, yeah, SPS. <laughs> knowing that there's someone who has the information and, you know, the capacity with the resources to take care of them, you know, I find it very, very helpful to do updates with my rescuers just because it allows them to stay a part of the process. You know, they've bonded with this creature, whether or not the creature sees them as a parent, you know, it's like they care about them. You know, you guys care about scooter style. And so it's just, I find very, very helpful to not cut ties, you know, to just allow that person to still be as much of a process as they want to be. Because, you know, you guys did spend time, energy, money, you know, love on this little creature and to have to hand it over and never hear about it again, never see it again, you know, that can be very, very difficult. So I think that, you know, every rehab handles it differently. But if you are someone who has gotten attached, ask to be a part of the process. Hmm. Or if it's something that you absolutely loved doing, maybe it's a way that you can volunteer your time in the future to helping out your local rehab. Being able to do that, you know, with other babies and actually being able to do it with the skill set that is necessary to raise them to survive. Um, I want to say that she... She did say something that really, you know, and when she was like pulling out her bag of tricks and tactics to get us to like follow through with dropping off the squirrel and not going underground with him, um, she said, you know, if baby squirrels, if squirrels could smile, you would see their faces really light up when they get to be around other baby squirrels. Yes. Yes, that is so true. I mean, honestly, at this point, she could send me a picture of a random squirrel that she got off Wikipedia and tell me it's Scooter and be like, he's doing so great. And like, just tell me some like milestones of his life. And I would be completely satisfied. Yeah, but it is one of those things where you want them to see, succeed, right? Yeah. Like you're happy that Scooter is doing well, that he has brothers or sisters that, you know, he's going to have a wild life one day. And so I think, you know, that is part of the enjoyment is, you know, like she said, that if they're going to smile, that's when they're going to smile, but they have so much fun 
getting to be their wild little selves, you know, getting to learn all those different milestones, you know, cracking open their first nut or when they get to go outside for the first time. It is something where that's what they're born to do. And so that is what brings them joy as being able to live as much of a wildlife as possible. And so we really try our best to emulate what mom squirrel would be doing for her babies, teaching them to have the skills that they need to survive back out into the wild. And then, you know, a lot of rehabbers will bring squirrels back to release them where they came from. And so, you know, rescuers always have that option of getting to see that major milestone of getting to go back out into the wild with this baby that they cared for, that they loved and adored. And so, you know, I think that it is really important to take our desires out of it and to look at what this animal really needs because, you know, we love them, but it's also a selfish love. You know, we have to want what's best for them. And that means to have siblings, to have the right care, to go back out into the wild. Oh, my God. Teddy, you are preaching. You are speaking my language. (laughs) I... The, I mean, I could we could go on and on about humans, like weird, selfish love for animals for days and days and days and days. And people treating animals like stuffed animals um, mm-hmm. and ignoring their actual nature and what they need. Like I used to work yeah. at Farm Sanctuary and we would only adopt out animals in pairs so that they had another friend of their species. Mm, and it's so yeah. weird for me to be out in the world and have people not even understand that concept and be like, I'm going to get one goat and it's going to be my best friend and you're like well what who's he going to speak goat language to who's yeah who's he going to get to experience goat stuff with yeah and I think that with social animals especially you know it is it's like us you know we're in social isolation in a lot of parts of America right now and it is driving people insane Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe people will gain perspective from that of like, what are we doing to our pets? What are we doing to these animals that we love that are social creatures? You know, we leave them at home and we go to work and they have to sit at home and wait for us to come home. You know, it's like, well, how much better off would they be if they had a buddy? Or, you know, maybe we pick a species that doesn't need to have that constant social attention and, you know, kind of cater their needs more. But with squirrels, you know, I think for the longest time, people have just said, oh, you know, they're not social creatures, that that's not something that they really need. But it is. I mean, we can say a lot of wildlife is antisocial, but they all exist together and work together and have these different hierarchies of, you know, who is the boss, who's, you know, not as strong of a leader, you know, who's going to be the the fierce one who's going to be the one who kind of follows behind and with squirrels especially in more populated areas they become much more social creatures where you know there are trees and parks where a bunch of squirrels will sit there and nest at night or you know hang out together and it's not just like one wild squirrel on its own you know not ever interacting with other squirrels They do have, you know, a lot of social bonds, but for a long time, people have just assumed (laughs) that they didn't, that that didn't matter to them or that wasn't something that they needed. But especially when it comes to the species of squirrels, you know, like we have a squirrel up here that's called the Douglas squirrel. And they're also known as like a pine squirrel or whatever. They're smaller than most of the squirrels that we have in California. 
but they're also much more social where they live more in family units, almost like ground squirrels do, but not quite as intensively. And if a, a mama squirrel dies, her sister may raise her baby. And so, mm. you know, they have familial bonds. They have such intense bonds that they're willing to foster another squirrel's baby. And so we kind of have to look at these examples and, and see that, you know, they're much more social than people might write about them in textbooks. Oh. Teddy, thank you for talking to me about squirrels. My pleasure. I know that we could talk about squirrels forever, but I do appreciate the opportunity to, you know, kind of discuss what these guys really need and, you know, how to get them safely into the hands of your local rehabber and knowing that what you do when you rescue them is a very beautiful and worthwhile thing, but we all have to be willing to to let go so that they can have the best life possible. Teddy, how can people find you and see videos of you bottle feeding squirrels if they want to scratch that maternal itch? <laughs> well, um, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Teddy Flory, T-E-D-D-Y-F-L-O-R-Y. And um, I post a lot about my squirrels in there. And I also have like a native habitat garden and other pets. I have a, a permaculture type homestead. So I love posting all about nature, different kinds of nature, but also especially my squirrels. <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful day. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.